For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. So we're in the last week or so of the practice commitment period. We've been looking at the Vimalakirti Sutra. The chapters that were highlighted and selected for us to focus on, we've we've talked about sometimes a couple times. Uh, I want to go to one of the other chapters tonight which wasn't designed for the practice commitment period, but I'll talk about it anyway. Uh, And this is about a feast, a fragrant feast. So uh, there is this, so we're talking um, Yesterday, about various Buddha worlds, we are in the Buddha world or the, of the Saha world, the world of endurance. Maybe you all can recognize that there's a lot to endure in this world. But there are many Buddha worlds, the Malakirti Sutra says, uh, in many world systems. Flower and Sutra says that in each atom there are many Buddhas many bodhisattvas for each of them. And this chapter 10 focuses on a, um, well, to what seems to us a strange Buddha world. This is a world, uh, okay, I'll try and say it once, Sarvaganda Sudanda. That's the name of this Buddha world, far away. And, uh, This is a wonderful Buddha world. The trees there emit a fragrance that far surpasses all the fragrances, human and divine, of all the Buddha worlds of the Ten Directions. In that universe, all the houses, the avenues, the parks, and the palaces are made of various perfumes, and the fragrance of the food eaten by the bodhisattvas there, pervades immeasurable universes. So this is a world of fragrances, a world of wonderful smells. And uh, as the story goes in the Malakirti Sutra, the uh, Bodhisattvas in this world see that, but none of them want to ask about it. Uh, in this translation, it says they're restrained by the spiritual powers of Manjushri, the great Bodhisattva of wisdom in Prajna. The translation says they don't ask about it in deference to Manjushri. At any rate, Malakirti without rising from his couch, 
logically emanating an incarnation bodhisattva. So this is something you may not have heard of, but, but in various sutras, various Buddhas emanate, produce incarnation bodhisattvas. Bodhisattvas who are magical incarnations. And um, there's a sutra where there are many Shakyamuni Buddhas who are magical incarnations of our Shakyamuni Buddha who lived 2,500 years ago, more or less, in what's now Northeast India. So, from another point of view, all bodhisattvas are incarnation bodhisattvas. From the emptiness teaching, of course, there's no such thing as a bodhisattva, and no such thing as a thing. But, um, anyway, uh, in the Malakirti Sutra, in the, in the assembly, of all these beings and bodhisattvas in the Malakirti's house, there's this incarnation bodhisattva. And um, this incarnation bodhisattva shows all of the bodhisattvas in this wonderful world of fragrance. And the Malakirti asks the Buddha of that world, who in some versions is Samantabhadra, to give the remains of their meal, their leftovers, to feed the bodhisattvas and all the beings in Vimalakirti's room, which is a room smaller than this one, and yet filled with tens of thousands of bodhisattvas and disciples through a magical display that happens earlier in the text. So basically, um, Malakirti is asking for the leftovers of this world to feed his assembly. So we're going to be having a uh, three-day sitting in Sashin next weekend. It's the first multiple, multiple day sitting where we've had since Ohatsu in 2019. So we are regathering equipment. But one of the things that happens in the session is that Vitenzo, uh, Vitenzo's assistant, is for the for the evening meal, which is not considered a real meal, it's a medicine meal. It's not because because the early monks were not supposed to eat afternoon. So when they had to feed people in China, it was colder and they couldn't go, didn't want to go without their evening meal, uh, they had what was called yakseki, which means a medicine stone. And actually, originally in China, what they would do was they would heat up stones and they would put them in their robes by their bellies to warm their bellies uh, in the evening, in, for, at the time of the evening meal. But uh, in the Japanese Zen tradition, in our tradition, we do have an evening meal, but it's not, there's no chanting, it's, it's smaller meal. But the second bowl of the two bowls in the evening meal, as our tension might provide for us in the, during the three-day sitting, is um, often made of leftovers. It's kind of gruel and put together. When I was uh, Tenzo at City Center, San Francisco Center in the, in the 80s, my favorite thing was to make the gruel. 
just to put together the leftovers from the previous meals and to make the school with uh, grains and vegetables and whatever. Anyway, so uh, uh, basically, Himalakirti is asking this Buddha from this world of fragrance, oh, can we please have your leftovers? They smell so good. I want to make a drool out of them. So, uh, so it is, and so it was. And uh, the incarnation bodhisattva kind uh, of flew down from this other world and provided the leftovers so that the Malakirti or his Denzo can probably maybe it was Malakirti himself, it doesn't really say, could make the rule for the uh, bodhisattvas in his house. Anyway, um, Now, the, the, the Buddha in that world of fragrance and, and all the bodhisattvas in that world of fragrance were very interested in, in seeing the Malakirti and Shakyamuni and coming to our world of endurance uh, because they were impressed by this incarnation bodhisattva that the Malakirti sent. So, one thing the Buddha there did was to warn the bodhisattvas from this fragrance world. Sarvagandha Suganda. So um, he warned them, please, when you go down to see Shakyamuni Buddha and the other uh, beings and bodhisattvas in that world, please um, hide your beauty. Please. Um, Uh, maybe even hide your size. Uh, just uh, don't don't show off your full splendor. He said to all these bodhisattvas. And also, please do not conceive ideas of contempt for an aversion for that universe, our universe, the Sahara world. Why? Because a Buddha field is a field of of pure great space, but the Lord Buddha is that in order to develop uh, Shakyamuni Buddha, in order to develop living beings, uh, please do not reveal all at once the pure realm of the Buddha. That's what Buddhas do. They don't reveal at once how wonderful Buddha is. It would be uh, kind of shocking and and he tells these bodhisattvas from his fragrance world to please don't hold the, 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 the disciples and bodhisattvas in the Malakirti's world in contempt because they're so um, well, they're so limited compared to the bodhisattvas of the fragrance world. Um, so he also says um, Do not compare, venerable ones, your own wisdom and merits with the wisdom and the merits of the Tathagata, of Shakyamuni Buddha. Don't compare, and don't compare yourself to the bodhisattvas and disciples there. And that, that reminded me of the song that 
Alan Sinaki sang when he was here a couple of Sundays ago. Um, our hero about the Bodhisattva from the Lotus Sutra, who says, never disparage and never despise. He's called the Bodhisattva never disparage and never despise because even though his fellow monks in this time in the Lotus Sutra were kind of, uh, well, maybe a little corrupt or they were vain or they were arrogant, but he didn't despise them because he knew they would become Buddhist. Anyway, it's kind of like that. These great bodhisattvas from this great fairy goods world were advised to please don't compare yourselves. Don't compare your Buddha to, the, to what you see in the sun world. Because, and, and uh, it's also revealed that um, in the world Sarvabandha Sagandha, where these bodhisattvas and Buddhas are coming, the, dis, the, the bodhisattvas are disciplined only by means of perfumes, only by means of fragrance. All of the teachings are done with fragrance. There are no Dharma talks. There are no sutras or texts to study. They learn about the wonders of awakening by receiving teachings through fragrances. There's a, uh, when I was living in Japan, in Kyoto, there's, there's, there was a place where they make incense, Shoyedo, I think maybe some of you have seen that incense. And they have a big building where they, in Kyoto, where they produce these, these fragrances. And uh, one time, actually with a fellow English teacher from the, from the university I was teaching at, who was, had been in Japan for a long time and knew Japanese cultural things very well, invited me to join him in, uh, it was kind of like a tea ceremony, but it was a, a, a fragrance ceremony. It was the most elegant thing I've ever seen. Some of you may have heard me talk about this before, but, uh, so it's in a tatami room, uh, like in a tea room. Um, maybe half the size of this room. And there were all these, um, we were the only men there. The teacher was, the, the, the sensei was a woman and the other participants were women. Um, and some of them were with very fancy kimonos, embroidered. And some of them were just regular kind of Japanese street clothes, but, but well, street clothes. And, and the way it works is that there's an incenser the cone of ash, there's a little incense that's put on the tongue. And each person uh, takes the incense or and smells and then exhale to the side so you don't want to blow all of the incense, uh, all of the ashes everywhere. But you, you, you have this, uh, you have this smell. And then everybody has that and it's passed around. And then there's a second. Uh, and third, uh, incense that are passed around, and one has to, it's a game, one has to identify which incense of the second group of two or three is the same as the first fragrance. So these were probably, you know, these women who did this were 
just amazing. It was just like uh, <laughs> just as a you know community guide who's not trained in, in, to appreciate incidences so well. But anyway, uh, and then once they decide which of the I forget if it was two or three second incenses is the same as the first, they responded, and this was amazing, by writing a haiku uh, describing the, the the incense that was the same, except they, these were based on classical haiku that they studied, and they had to write to write it out in in kana. So it was this amazing, elegant event. I mean, the most most elegant thing that I will ever see, all based on fragrances. Anyway. Uh, but that's not in this text of the, of, the, of the sutra. But I just, you know, was reminded of that. Um, so, um, so again, these 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 body, these bodhisattvas from this fragrance world are coming and visiting the Malakirti and seeing the bodhisattvas from our world, the disciples. And they asked Malakirti how the Buddha Shakyamuni teaches the Dharma. Because their Buddha teaches by just making fragrances available. The Malakirti replied, good people, these living beings here are hard to discipline. Therefore, Shakyamuni teaches them with discourses appropriate for the disciplining of the wild and uncivilized. So this is, this is what we're doing. Uh, this is how it works in our Saha world. We have to give discourses. Um, and some of you think these talks are too long, but these are all for the point, for the purpose of um, helping to clarify and discipline and purify you know, your heart minds so that you can help do that for others. Anyway, that's, that's what it says in the sutra. Um, uh, so, uh, um, and, and following that up, um, the Bodhisattva said, this is established by the greatness of the Buddha Shakyamuni. It is marvelous how concealing the miraculous, his miraculous power, he civilizes the wild living beings who are poor and inferior. And the Bodhisattvas who settled in a Buddha field of such intense hardships must have inconceivably great compassion. So this is the other side of this. Bodhisattvas, like all of us who live in the Saha world, which is so difficult, it really is. I mean, I could start to talk about all the difficulties of this, this world we're in, but I don't want to bring it down. You all know already anyway. But this is a wonderful place to be a bodhisattva, even though from the point of view of the fragrance bodhisattvas, it's kind of wild and unruly. Um, but we have the opportunity to pacify and discipline and clarify and support our own awakening hearts and others in this world. 
So it's really a great opportunity that we have. Um, yeah. Um, so you know, this is this is uh, an important teaching of the Malakirti Sutra, and I'm not going to. I, my intention, anyway, for the three-day sitting is not to uh, focus on particular parts of the text of the sutra or in reference some of them, but just to talk about how do we apply all these strange teachings to our own lives in this Saha world, in this difficult world, in the United States of America or wherever uh, in, we are in the world. So how do we do this with great compassion? Another story I've, I've told is that there are bodhisattvas from many other worlds who are lined up just waiting to be born in this world at this time because they know this is where they can do the most good, where they can help beings the most. At any rate, um, so, you know, to me this, this implies um, that we can oppose harmful systems or events happening in our world without hating or despising personally those who espouse these harmful policies. We can oppose white supremacist terrorist policies and systems without hating you know, the politicians who are talking about them, personally hating those people. We don't need to. We can oppose the difficulties of the world without without uh, falling into personal hatred. Even even people who are causing great harm are just very seriously deluded. So uh, I don't know if we send them incense or what we do to to help them see possibilities of beauty and wonder and kindness in the world. It's a big job. Anyway, that's our job. Um, and, you know, just as um, in this Sarvatanta Siddhanta world, beings are awakened by fragrance. When we consider all of the myriad Buddha fields, we should hear that in other Buddha fields, other phenomena are used to teach. So in some Buddha fields, beings are awakened and illuminated by music. That happens in our world, too. Some, some of them are awakened by clouds, some by poetry, even haiku, some by birds. Some, in some Buddha worlds, beings are awakened by mountains or rivers or fish or uh, trees, anyway. Um, so we, we tend to think of teachings in one limited way. But the whole world, all the flowers, so you can just go back in the garden behind the center and see flowers, that can teach also. Anyway, I'm going to close by reading the eight qualities of bodhisattvas that help them to reach pure Buddha fields. 
So it says the Bodhisattva must resolve to themselves, I must benefit all living beings without seeking even the slightest benefit for myself. I must bear all the miseries of all living beings and give all my accumulated roots of virtue to all living beings. I must have no resentment towards any living being. I must rejoice in all bodhisattvas. I must rejoice in all bodhisattvas as if they were the teacher. I must not neglect any teaching, whether or not I have heard them before. I must control my mind without coveting the gains of others and without taking pride in gains of my own. I must examine my own faults and not blame others for their faults. I must take pleasure in being consciously aware and awake and must truly undertake all virtues. So those are the eight uh, qualities of bodhisattvas, the practices of bodhisattvas that help them to reach pure Buddha fields. So um, maybe that's enough. Talking about the sutra for tonight. But any questions or comments or responses, please feel free. Ah, hi, Gershon. Just a quick question those eight qualities of a bodhisattva, are those from the Ramalakirti Sutra? It's in the Ramalakirti Sutra towards the end of, I was reading it from Thurman's translation. At the end of chapter 10, they're lovely. Including not to find fault with others. So, so some of them are like some of our precepts. And not to blame others. And to, you know, look at our own um, shortcomings and examine those. This is all part of, you know, in another way, all of these are... Uh, what are available, what's available in Sazen. So in our world, we um, we could say we are ta- taught and awakened by sutras and talks and so forth, but really it's just Sazen, just sitting in presence, seeing ourselves. Other questions or comments? Ben. Ben, hi, welcome. Good to see you again. I'm really struck by this contrast between a, a, a world of sense, a world made of sense, right? It's not just the teaching or sense, it's like a world composed of sense. Well, all the beings and all the bodhisattvas and all the trees are, they emit, and I guess they're also composed of fragrance. I mean, yeah. I don't quite know if I can understand it, but. Right. And, uh, and the, the wild and uncivilized world of discourse and language. <laughs> and uh, so I have a dog who's 15 and a half. And um, she's a sweetie. She can't hear anything. Her eyesight is starting to fade. She walks very, very slowly. Um, but she smells everything. And I take her on walks every morning for two blocks. It takes us half an hour. Uh, it's sort of like walking meditation. And um, 
I get frustrated because I live in a world of language where I have to go teach class and I have to answer emails and I'm worried about the text that I have to send. And um, but then I always try to remember that like for her, that's her world really is a world of sense and a world of smells. And I wonder what that world is like. So it was a world without the divisions that language and discourse tries to impose upon the world. The sense are all going to mingle into each other. While she'll stop and smell some places, and there's some places she really likes. She'll pass by other places. Um, a uh, uh, animal um, neurobiologist wrote this book about uh, canine brains and said that dogs um, not only can they recognize all these scents, but they can, she said, they can smell time. So they can tell like how long ago a scent was, um, was, was put down. And they can smell space. So they can tell like how they can smell as they're getting closer to where a scent is put down. Um, so I guess just a world of scent really would get us to really rethink how we perceive things. And if you're lucky enough to live with the dog, like you're also in a world where those dogs are inhabiting that world in a pretty significant way. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we have a puppy who's going to be a year old in a month or two with her exact birthday. And so I, I've learned to, when I take her on walks, go slowly and let her smell different things. At first I thought, oh, she should you know, have to get something. <laughs> but, uh, and she gets exercise other times, but when, when I take her to walk for walk, she stops and she, yeah, so thank you for, for showing me that. Right? didn't know about this time-space component of that. That's so cool. Thank you. Other comments, responses? Laurel gave a wonderful talk recently about how she learns from birds. So, you know, they're, they're all, you know, as you were talking, though, you know, in our in our language, in our, in our verbal discourse, we separate things, subject, verb, object. I wonder, do dogs think of smells as something out there or as part of just their whole? I don't, anyway, <laughs> we don't know. Gersh, <laughs> do, do you want to say anything else about how birds teach? Uh, some birds, uh, like vultures, for example, find their food by smell. Um, so I don't know about all birds, but I was actually thinking, I've been reading Richard Feynman. I don't know, he's kind of a crazy Nobel laureate physicist and uh, raconteur. <laughs> can, can you hear her, Patrick? Please speak up. Anyway, uh, he... Um, he, want, he was interested in how about he was interested in mind reading. So he he uh, went to a mind reading performance 
and talked to the mind reader and found out from the mind reader that he actually did it by smell, which is a little complicated to explain and I won't go into it, but what I was thinking about was that, so he decided he would investigate whether he could smell things. <laughs> and uh, his uh, uh, experiments, I guess, showed him that if he tried, if he really did put his mind to it and pay more attention, he could train himself to do a lot of things by smell, the way blind people do a lot of things by right. hearing and touch. So after you did this talk, I was, and I had actually been thinking about it after reading it, I think we should all think about whether we can do more with this uh, sense we have, which I think we under- uh, appreciate. So maybe that's one of the lessons in there. Is appreciating something more. You know, we are so dependent on our eyes. And uh, when I had hearing loss, I realized how dependent I was on my eyes and ears together, but not my nose. So for what it's worth. Thank you. Other comments or responses or questions? Yeah, there are people who are who, who train particular senses, so chefs or you know, yes, have a highly developed sense of taste, for example. And I think a lot of that it comes from smell too. Yes. The, the uh, head chef at Olivia, whose name, name I forget, but I think Athens. it's hmm? Athens. Athens, yeah, had um, cancer and re recovered, but totally lost his entire sense of smell and taste. Couldn't, couldn't taste a single thing. Oh dear. Uh, and so he just. <laughs> Put himself through his own sort of boot camp and retaught himself how to taste, which is pretty remarkable. So, I don't know what that would be like to rely professionally on a particular sense and then suddenly have that taken away from you. And, and to be well known in your field for that. That reminds me of Lou Richmond. I don't know if any of you know from high school, uh, our senior teacher. San Francisco Zen Center lineage, and he uh, had a stroke and was actually in a coma for, I, I forget, like 10 months or something. And he recovered, and when he, but he didn't have a lot of his cognitive abilities. He couldn't, I forget the details of the story, he writes about it. Uh, maybe he, he couldn't, he had trouble using language. And he regained his cognitive abilities by sitting zaza. Just it, it slowly came back to him. And so that he, and he ended up being, he's also a concert pianist, so he composure. Returning to more and more. Anyway, the brain is a strange thing, and our various senses. How we how we perceive the world is part of what the Dhammakirti Sutra emphasizes is that our, our sense of the world, our perception of the world, is 
not what we think it is. <laughs> it's uh, it's such a Any other questions or comments? This is going to comment that I think we can learn from people who have lost, you know, lost a sense or or don't have a sense. I think that we we don't um, attend enough. Well, I, you know, it makes me think of the phrase "differently able," which yes. we we kind of you know use as like a politically correct thing, but it, I think it really is. You know, when when someone steps outside the margin of what is sort of you know normative, they they do become differently able. Yeah, and each of us has our own special gifts, as we said, and. Um, so we all have different uh, skill sets, to put it that way, and perceptually as well. Some people uh, can paint, some people make music, some people write poetry, some people can identify different birds, uh, anyway. So the particulars of, of how we perceive the world are interesting and different.